Well, good morning. My name is Amber Carroll, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. It's a great day, I believe. We have amazing things happening in this church. Um, God is doing some great stuff, and it's great to be on the journey together. We are in a message series we've entitled, I Don't Know What I Believe. And this is the third week in it. The first week we talked about, I don't know what I believe about, um, about salvation. Like, I don't know what I believe, but I know in whom I have believed. We talked about sanctification, which is really just how do we live holy lives? How do we live lives that are in line with God? And then John talked about suffering. And how do we know what to do with suffering? What do we do with that? And so today we're going to look at this kind of big word called sovereignty, which really it's just about God's power and authority and control. And that word control kind of trips us up a little bit, and we get um, all misconstrued ideas behind that. But we've been looking specifically at a passage in 2 Timothy, and we've been looking at the wisdom and life experience that the Apostle Paul has left for us. Paul, who was um, the primary, the majority writer of the New Testament, who, who was the lead church planter, and uh, we got a lot of wisdom to learn from him, and so we're going to read this, and in fact, it's, I'm going to ask you to read it out loud together with me, and the words are on the screen, so if you would read that with me now. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him to that day. What you heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Amen. We were coming at, we're uh, looking at the life lessons of Paul a little bit and what he has to say in this passage. And we can trust a little bit uh, about, about what Paul is saying here because Paul's lived life. Paul has been in the dark places and seen God work in his life. We can read the words that he writes to Timothy, which is his apprentice in the whole church planting movement. And he can, we can trust what Paul is saying because he is writing from a place of experience. Have you ever had anyone try to give you advice and they've never, they have no idea what they're talking about? Like where they're like, oh, it'll be okay, you'll be fine, God's in control, and you're like, you have no idea what it's like for me. Have you ever walked in my shoes? So it means a lot to look at people, um, to learn from the wisdom of those who've gone before, before us, and to take heart and, and guidance and, and, and trust in that. See, Paul could have written this piece that we just read here from the height of his 
of his ministry. He could have written at the very beginning of Acts when he's planting the churches and they're seeing all of this growth and, and the church is moving from a cult to an actual like movement. And people are getting saved and they're, they're, he, they're getting healed and they're witnessing amazing miracles of what's happening in, with the people preaching and the church expanding. He could have preached this, uh, this, this letter that he wrote to Timothy at that height when he had all of the people's attention. You know, there was one time he was in a church and he was preaching and he was going on and on and on. And you know, those preachers who preach a long time and they never stop talking. You've experienced that when John preached the other week, I know. And, and they just keep going on and on. And was, anyway, he preached. I know, I love you. Um, so he was preaching in this church, and, and it was like he had everyone's attention and, and so much so, except for the kid in the top balcony who fell to his death and died. And then Paul walks over and brings the kid back to life, and his name was Eutychus, and Eutychus too, if you fell off the balcony. Um, so bad. That's so good. It's so terrible. I shouldn't do the jokes. I should leave that to you. Anyway, um, no, but then he brings him back to, I mean, he could have said, see, God, had, he was in control all along, you know, I, he died and I brought him back and cussing and all that. No, not really. Um, but um, he wasn't preaching this, this message of, of the, the faith and the confidence that he had in whom he believed at the height of it all. Paul is actually in prison. He's in the darkest place. He has zero control over what's going to happen. And he's telling Timothy with all faith and confidence that God's purpose will always be fulfilled. How do we gain that kind of confidence how do we see purpose in a prison when there are no windows or no visitors? How can you start talking about your calling and the purpose and, and God's control in your life when you're rotting away in a prison or you're in financial ruin or on the brink of divorce or facing medical disaster? You know, this is where most of us question God's sovereignty and power and God's control in our lives. Because it starts when it's all good with an exclamation point, and at some point, it turns to a question mark. God is good. God is good? God is in control. And it's like, God is in control? Really? Because if God's in control, you know, why are these things happening? I have no control over this. Where is God? Where is God? So, I think what we need to um, look at and start with is that, and, and back up, is, is you believe that God is good. If you believe that God is good, then you can trust God. And then handing over control and, 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 and believing that God is in control isn't hard because you trust the good and loving God. But if you don't believe that God is good, then that becomes a really difficult thing to wrestle with. If I don't believe that God knows me and loves me, then how can I trust him? You ever, ever had to put your trust in someone, that uh, give someone control that you didn't trust? You ever been in, in a vehicle with someone who didn't know how to drive? Any parents in here ever try to teach your child how to drive? Raise your hand. How much trust did you have over their control behind the wheel? I haven't been there yet. I'm going to learn from you. Actually, you can take Aiden driving. How about that? I love you. But if what I believe about God is that he isn't good and that he doesn't care or love me or know how to drive, then how can I say, Jesus, take the wheel, right? How can I trust him to drive? I'm surely not going to give him control over the car. I'm surely not going to give him control over my life. 
And this is what it means when we say the most important thing about a person is what they believe about God, about the nature and character of God. And it's not the facts that they believe, but it's how their life is lived in the knowledge and the truth that they know about God, right? What we believe about God is shown through our actions, through how we treat others, through how we view life and how we lean on God in those tough moments. See, a father who loves us and is good is a father that can be trusted. And we know through scripture that God is love and that from love is goodness. There's an author and a pastor that I've uh, recently begun to follow and respect a lot. His name is Greg Boyd. And he uh, did an interview with this girl, her name Rachel Held Evans. And I'm going to put up some words from the interview because I thought it was fascinating. He's talking about this idea of sovereignty and control and how do we reconcile that. Um, So he says, we can answer all of God's questions by centering it and looking at Jesus, most uh, importantly, Jesus on the cross, Jesus crucified. So he's he's pointing to Paul. So so Boyd's talking about Paul. Paul has a lot to say about this. We're looking at Paul. And so he says, Paul says that the crucified Christ is both the wisdom and the power of God. So the cross is what God's power looks like. The cross is what it looks like when God flexes his omnipotent biceps. It means God's power is synonymous with his love. For John tells us that God is love while defining love by pointing to the cross. In this light, it seems to me that a cross-centered concept of sovereignty is the exact opposite of control-based concept. See, on the cross, God doesn't control people. Out of his unfathomable love, he rather allows others to control him to the point of crucifying him. Jesus said, you want to know what the Father looks like? Look to me. Look to Jesus Christ, even on that cross. On the cross, God doesn't control people. God gives away control because of his self-sacrificial love. See, here's what I know about whom I have believed. And that is, he is loving and through his love wants my good. So if we look at this idea of control and God's power and control through the lens of God's goodness, we're able to see things a little more clearly There's a common uh, scripture verse that we point to often. It's Romans 8, 28, and it says, And we know that in all things, all things, God, which because God is sovereign and has authority over all things, he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that we've been called since before the beginning of time, he has called us for his purpose and his grace. And if we trust that God is good and God is sovereign, then we might be willing to trust God with the control. To be able to say, God is in control with all faith and confidence that in that and through that, my good will be done. My good at some point will be revealed. And this is mysterious and it's awe-inspiring and it's miraculous. All-knowing sovereignty means that while I make choices and they have consequences, a life fully consecrated to God means that God can take all of my fumblings and all of my mistakes and all of my weaknesses and use them for his glory. And no matter what happens to me outside of God's will, he'll make all things work together for my good. So, a couple things to note. Just, and then we're gonna, we're gonna move on here. So not everything that happens to us is God's will, right? If that were the case, we wouldn't pray, thy will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Yes, everything that happens, God can redeem for good, but not that every, not everything that happens is from God. If good is from God. And if it's not good, it might not be from God. You might not see it yet because you're in the middle of the darkness, you're in the prison, you're in the, you're in the storm, you're, you can't see it, your eyes aren't open yet, but we can trust that because we know he's good. At some point, we will see it. And the second thing, God is not controlling. God is, excuse me, he's not a control freak. He, did, he doesn't give us goodwill and then like take it away. Right? I'm going to help you think about this. He doesn't, he doesn't offer us the choice. He, he gives us a choice. He offers blessing and cursing, life and death. There was an illustration I read on Donald Miller. If you follow him, he has a blog called Storyline. And so he, he set this up about this idea of God's control in our lives. He says, imagine visiting a friend's house for dinner for the first time. And you sit down at the table and the father sits at the head of the table and tells each of the kids and the wife, for that matter, what, they, what they're going to eat, when they're going to eat it, when they're going to go to bed. When they'll be getting up, what time they're going to go to school, what they're going to wear today, what college they're going to go to, and on and on and on. Later, you tell your friend you thought that their father might be a little bit controlling. You secretly believe that their family's kind of dysfunctional. But your friend is offended. They think it's perfectly normal to want to please their father in everything they do. And they're right. It is appropriate to want to please one's father. The only problem is their father's nuts. God, on the other hand, is in nuts. He said, if God is fathering us, he is helping us discover what is good and right and pure and worthy to pursue. He teaches us morality and ethics, but he also gave us a heart filled with desire and longing. It's as though God sets before us a big sheet of butcher paper and hands us a box of crayons and tells us to dream. And I love that idea that he says, you can dream create. It's not just one set path and you mess up or you step off and oh, you're doomed. I used to think that. Like, oh, I'm, did I marry the right person? There are days. Just kidding. Um, but that he says, this, this, is, this is for you. I think of it often as like, he opens up the, the playground, he opens up the back door and he says, um, my child, go play. And there's a swing set and there's a teeter-totter and there's a merry-go-round. And yeah, you might love the swing set. I love to watch you pump your legs and fly really high in the sky. And your favorite part is when you jump off and you leap in the air and you can fly and you can fall on the ground in the sand. And the, there's danger in that choice, you know. You could break your ankle. You could get sand in your eye, I don't know. But God loves to see us choose and have joy and experience the things in our lives. See, when we think this idea of, of control and God controlling, it kind of goes against our human uh, nature because most of us spend our whole lives trying to gain co our own control, to get out of the control of other people, right? I mean, when, when we grow up or we're trying to get out of our parents' house, all we can think of is when I grow up, no one's going to tell me what time to go to bed. I'm going to eat Pop-Tarts for dinner if I want to or if I want to eat Skittles or I want more tech time or play at Fortnite longer. I'm going to be in control of me. And when we say that God is in control of it all, it goes against what we kind of are designed to and want to, um, to do, to live our lives out. And, and I think in an effort to make people feel good about stuff, like when things are spinning out of control, we say, it's okay, God's in control. And we want to help, but sometimes it makes it worse. You ever been in that situation where you're just like, ah, and they're like, it's okay, God's in control. You're like, really? Because I'm, I'm not feeling it right now. You know, um, 
God, in his sovereignty and in his power, gives his creation, his people, this like circle and this sphere of control. He gave it to us, to his kids. And we know that because we look outside of, of that, that sphere of control and the way God works, and we're wondering, um, where is God in control? See, there's human, human uh, responsibility, and there's God's sovereignty. In, um, in, a little, in a little bit, we're going to spend some time on this Lenten reflection. So on your paper, or when you walked in the door, you got this um, piece of paper. And we're going to go to that in, um, in a minute here. But um, there's a place for the notes also on the back of your bulletin. But um, what we're going to do is um, we're going to draw some circles, okay? So God, I can write in control. This is the statement that we kind of wrestle with at times. So on your paper, maybe on your bulletin or, or, yeah, let's start on your bulletin. I want you to draw a circle. And in the middle of that circle, if you need to get a pen, you can do that. They should be in front of you. I want you to write down the things in your life that are in your control, that you have control over, that God has given you control over, like your body, your finances, your actions, your words, your thoughts. Take just a few minutes here, or just a few seconds. In a minute, we're going to think of a certain, I'm going to help you walk through a situation in your life that you might need to figure out. Where, is, where, is the, uh, where have you reached your human responsibility, and where is it outside of your control? And we'll spend some time in that in a, in a minute here. So a way to think through this, you know, um, where finances, you know, you're struggling to pay your bills or you're in financial ruin. You've been reckless with your finances. You're crippled with debt. At what point of that is your responsibility? What point is God's? If you don't learn, you have a, a problem with anger um, and you haven't learned how to control your anger and it's affecting your relationships. Is this God in control of that or is that in your control? And here's a question I want to ask you. Do you really want God to be in control, or do you want God to take control? And I'm going to explain that. There's this, uh, they're different. See, giving God control is one thing, and asking him to take control is another. See, take control temporarily while things feel out of control. So I'm not just asking him to take uh, control of things because they're just too hard and I'm ready to surrender. I I'm handing you know, him my life at certain parts you know, because I want God to take control for this moment, but not tonight at 9 o'clock. I got plans. Friends and I made plans to sneak out. I don't want my parents to know, so I'm going to take back control, God. But then if I get caught, oh, God, help me, right? Right? Or, or um, you know, take control of my finances. God, I don't want you control of all my finances. I want to spend my money the way I want to, not the way you tell me. But then things get hard, and then I want you to make money rain down on me. Right? That's what I want. I want God to take control. I don't want to give him control. I don't want to make him the center hub of everything in my life. 
And Paul, we learn from him, he recognizes that God is in control. God, he has given his life to God, and he's in control at the high points and in prison. So are you asking God to take control temporarily and give it back to me at 10 o'clock tonight? Or do you want him to be in control of your whole life? Do you want to give him that peace right there? And when we play that back and forth game, is it any wonder that we never feel fully balanced? Always feels just a little off. And by the way, (laughs) when it comes to situations in your lives that are beyond your control, the things outside of here that are beyond your control, what are some things that might fall outside of here? Go ahead and shout them. What? Uh, Death. Other people. (laughs) As much as we'd like to control other people, we cannot. Okay, weather. What else? What else outside of your control right now? Health. Right? Teenagers. Right? Toddlers. <laughs> Parents, husbands, okay, people. That, we'll just cover all people with that. The price of gas. Job security, yeah. So there are things outside of our control. But when there comes to things in your life, think about what, what you can what you do have power over and what you have control over, and, and, and get a handle on that before you come to God and ask him for the other things, right? Like, what is God asking you? What has he given you power to work on? And then where, is, where, does it, where, do, where does that end? Where does that end there? See, when we read in Scripture, there are times where, oftentimes, where people come and ask for a miracle, and then uh, God, they'll, they'll respond, God will respond with uh, a next step, so we know that Jesus was with his disciples, and they were um, out late, and they were preaching and teaching, and the disciples got worried because they hadn't planned for dinner, and there were all these hungry people around, and uh, the dinner was supposed to be in the fellowship hall, and no one showed up, and there's no food, and they're like, Jesus, you know, um, lost track of time, and he said, you know, it's getting late. Can we just send these people away because they're hungry and we don't have anything to eat? And Jesus says, nope, they don't need to go away. You need to feed them. Your problem. And he gives them something to do, and then, and then from that, we see that they are fed miraculously. Yeah, God can be in control, but there are things that we are called to do that will set off a chain of events where we can see God's amazing, amazing work go on. So how can God heal you or bring health and restore something in your life when you're not living a healthy lifestyle? Right? I mean, how can God bring your kids back into a relationship with you if you don't know how to be in a relationship at all? What, what are the things we are asking God to miraculously do that we haven't taken that first step? And there is human responsibility in this. When our, our, our lives are out of control, we ask, where is God? And God's saying, I'm here. Where are you? You don't have to raise your hand, but can you think of a situation right now in your life where you're going... I don't, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do next. What is God's purpose in it? See, in Paul's life, um, one of the, the situations that he was in is he was 
in the middle of a storm on a boat. Um, we read a lot about storms and boats in Scripture. And he's sailing. Uh, he's in the, the book of Acts, sailing through the storm. He's on his way to stand trial before Caesar. This is in Acts 27. And, um, and he wasn't on this ship because he did anything wrong. It was because he was preaching the gospel. But he had to go stand trial. And this is like totally out of his, out of his control. And it says in uh, 27, 14 through 17, and it's a kind of long, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. But he's driven along in the boat. So he's like, already he has zero control. He gets in this boat, no control. He's being taken along. And then there's like all these other prisoners on the ship. And once they're in the boat, they hit this storm. And uh, their boat's taking on water, and they're starting to freak out. And they have no control, and they're scared. Right. See, this, that's the first circle. So they thought they had everything in control. And it's easy to believe that God is good and God is in control when we can control all of the things, right? When it's going just, I, I know how to drive the boat, the winds are great, there's no storm. But that doesn't prove that God is in control. That proves you're in control, right? We say, God, prove to me you are in control. And God's saying, <laughs> for me to show you that I'm in control, I got to get you in a situation so that I can prove to you that you can trust me, that you can trust me with your life. If the only parts of our lives that we allow God to take control, we'll never get to see and trust that God is good. Stephen Furtick said this, I love it. He said, the power of God is not demonstrated in your control. The place where God loves to prove his power is outside of your control. And I thought this was neat. God is not in control. God is out of control, not like out of control, but you know what I mean, that he is out here in this area, in here where we can see the miracles and the proof of his goodness and his love and his healing and it's one of the things that we can't control when we have to lean on a God who can help us when we can't help ourselves on the open sea, in the prison cell, when I'm, I, I can't understand it, when I don't know what I believe, but I've got confidence in whom I have believed because it's in these places where God proves himself over and over again. Not when I'm on the peak, when everything's great, when I'm healing Eutychus from dying off the balcony, not when everyone loves me and it's going well, but it's in those depths, it's in the darkness. When I hand it over and say, God, I can't do it on my own, where are you? And he says, I'm right here all along. Paul is watching these guys throw everything over, the, over the, uh, the ship, and they're all feeling out of control. They're trying to lighten the load so the ship won't sink. And, and um, you know, he feels like they all, they're scared. Everything's going on. And this, this is all happening before he writes about God's sovereignty in the prison. See, he had an encounter with an angel before he had gotten on that boat. And in that angel, he said, hey, don't, don't be afraid don't be afraid because I've got plans for you. you nothing's going to happen to you until you appear before Caesar. So, so Paul knows he's on the boat. He had an encounter with God. He says, guys, you don't need to worry because I've already been promised the end. I already know how it's going to end. Like, I'm going to make it there, so you must make it there because we're here together. I don't know. You don't have to worry about it. I had an encounter. See, knowing is not enough. Experiencing it, believing it, that's where, that, this is where we get to feel and experience God's unbelievable goodness. Now, there are some things 
that are in our control that we messed up. And it's in the past. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. But all the stuff outside of your control, we can trust that God can do it. See, seeing this second circle around me helps me know that when I can't control, when I fail, when others fail, like this second circle, this is what God does, where God will never fail. I'm going to close this with a story today. Actually, I'm going to have the uh, worship team come forward here. Um, but I, do, I want you to grab your Lenten reflection paper out. You probably already have it out. There you go. And I asked earlier if there's a certain uh, situation that comes to mind that's keeping you up at night or that's just making it hard. I mean, it could be as easy as feeling uh, easy. It could be anywhere from uh, a job change, knowing that things at work are so tough and you just don't know what to do. What's the control? And where, where, where is God's power? What is God doing in the midst of this? It could be a relationship. It could be whatever. But as we sit here today, I want you to um, spend just a few minutes and draw that circle and write the things specific to that situation that you know you, you have some control over and draw a circle around them. And then on the outside of it, think through what are the things you do not have control if it's your work, is it your boss, is it the people you work with, what can you not? And we're just going to spend about, uh, about a minute and a half, two minutes here while the band um, plays a little bit and reflect on that, and we'll come back in a minute.
Kings 6. We read of a story of Elisha. He's the prophet. And he's under attack. And in the night, while they're sleeping, these armies and the, the, the chariots and horses, they came to surround where he was. He said, chariots, strong force there, went by night and surrounded the city. And then, so in 15 and 16, let's just read this here. It says, when the servant of the man of God, Elisha, got up and went out the early next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So they were sleeping here. And what they could control was what they'd planned on. But when the servant woke up, he looked all around here and he saw an army and chariots and horses and more more soldiers than they had planned for. And he was scared. And it says here, it says in 16, he said, he said they, well, 15, he had surrounded the city. He said, oh, no, Lord, what shall we do? What are we going to do? We have no provision for this. And Elisha says, do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Because what Elisha can do is he can see beyond what this servant can see. Because it went on and it said, and Elisha prayed, God, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots out here surrounding all of the enemies and everyone who is here. And God says, open my servant's eyes so he can see that the that the God who is with us is greater than anything that is coming at us out here, right? He's saying, not, not send, send them away. He says, I want our serv- my servant to see, God, you were there in the midst and you were fighting for us and you were surrounding us with everything that we need. We can't see it right now. We're in the midst of the depths. We're in the prison. We're in the darkness. We don't see a way out. We don't know what God's doing. And he says, Open your eyes, God is here, and you are surrounded, and you are loved by a good Father who wants you to be in relationship with Him and trust Him in His goodness and His power and His might. Amen? Amen. Let's sing this. It may look, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Yes, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, Jesus. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 